Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Clarity PR is a global strategic communications agency that shapes market-leading narratives for brands in crypto and blockchain to drive awareness and grow business. Working with clients, including Atlas Quantum and Securitize, Clarity can move quickly to differentiate the value of your business. Please visit clarity.pr to learn more. Your branding and website are the first things your audience will see. In the ever-expanding world of ICOs and blockchain startups, you need to stand out from the pack. OnRamp is a full-service creative and design agency that will help you amplify your brand with the perfect website, logo, collateral, or custom design project. Get big results in no time by visiting thinkonramp.com. My guest today is Kyle Samani, managing partner at Multicoin Capital. Welcome, Kyle. Hey, Laura. Great to be back on the show. You were at ZCon Zero this week, which is Zcash's conference. From the Twitter sphere, it felt like the big news from the conference was that for the first few years of Zcash, Zuko Wilcox, who's the founder and CEO of the Zcash company, will be making what is currently $300,000 a month or about $404 million a year in Zcash, at least at current exchange rates. But hopefully more serious things were discussed at the conference itself. So what were your big takeaways? I had an amazing time at Zcon Zero. I generally like going to developer conferences. Um, I've been spending the last few months really diving deep into privacy technologies. And obviously, the entire Zcash engineering and protocol teams were there. And so I spent a lot of my time with the protocol engineers understanding what are the kinds of optimizations they've been making in the Snarks um, for their kind of upcoming sapling upgrade. And then understanding the other kinds of zero-knowledge proofs out there. The two primary uh, alternatives are bulletproofs and Snarks. And so I've been spending a lot of time understanding the nuances of each of these proof systems, you know, what they can and can't do, how, what are the limits of these technologies, where can they go, and what can we expect kind of of the privacy technologies over the next few years. And what are these new technologies that you're describing, the SNARKs, the Starks, et cetera? What will they make possible? So the like, I, th- I think the end state opportunity for blockchains are going to be a series of private transactions, so kind of like Zcash, or private smart contract computations that can, that can happen off-chain that you can submit to the chain. And then the chain itself will be uh, iterating using what's called iteratively verifiable computation, or an IBC. That will manifest using a recursive SNARK or recursive Stark. And basically what this will allow is it will allow any node anywhere in the world to download somewhere on the order of one megabyte of data Maybe, maybe two megabytes of data, and be able to validate the, enti- the integrity of the chain up until the current point in time. Um, and so the reason this is so powerful is, you know, a lot of people in Bitcoin, very rightfully, and Ethereum are very rightfully concerned about kind of chain bloat. The Bitcoin blockchain, I think, is 180 gigabytes today. I think Ethereum is, there's different numbers out there. I think the number is more like 30 or 40 or 50 gigs 
for kind of the current account state. Uh, but, but these are constantly growing over time as more people use the system, and they will never stop growing. And what's really amazing about these technologies is they will allow any node anywhere in the world to no longer need to download uh, the entire history of the chain in order to validate the current state of the chain. Uh, and that's a really amazing concept. And ultimately, that will enable, I believe, maximal decentralization uh, for these systems as we try and scale them. And so this will allow for us to go from, you know, the 10 or 20 transactions per second to hundreds of thousands or perhaps even millions of transactions per second without any other upgrades in sharding or consensus algorithms or any other uh, of the kind of ways people are working on scaling blockchains. Oh, well, interesting. And by that, you mean that you really feel like this will be the key to the big scaling obstacle that everybody has been trying to figure out? I don't say this is the key. So there's there's about four or five kind of fundamental approaches to scaling. And the teams all over the world and all the major protocols are working on them in different ways. And different teams are emphasizing different approaches. But this is the one that – this is the one that's technically arguably the most complex, but I think also delivers the greatest levels of layer one scaling. Right. Along with decentralization, which is kind of one of the other – issues is a lot of times when you try to scale, like everybody always says, oh, it's easy to scale if you're centralized. But I think what's really interesting is what you're saying is this allows for a lot of decentralization at the same time that you scale. Correct. Yes. It, it allows you to rethink the kind of trade-off space in, in a fundamentally new way. It's it's really cool technology. It's definitely speculative. It's definitely really early. But it, it's, as I kind of project out three, four, five years, and I start seeing this stuff become more manageable, more usable, uh, it really makes me much more optimistic that we can we can scale chains. And do you think that this would also lead to a future in which when we transact in crypto, that we will be able to do so in a manner that's private by default? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, so, you know, today there's a lot of trade-offs uh, in kind of getting privacy on blockchains, Monero transactions are rather large, relatively speaking, and that you know we have to pay for space in the chain. Uh, Monero itself is just a little bit clunky to use. Uh, Zcash today, if you want to generate a private transaction in Zcash on most kind of normal computers today, it takes thirty seconds to a minute. It's just it's just quite slow. When I kind of look into the future and I see the kinds of opportunities for uh, tweaks to both the kind of core Snark algorithms and Stark algorithms to implementations of the, the protocols and to opportunities in improving implementations by using parallelization on GPUs. As I kind of look across the spectrum of, of opportunities to enhance the stuff, uh, it seems quite clear that we will get these things down from 30 seconds to generate a, a shielded transaction down to milliseconds or maybe maybe a tenth of a second. And at that point, privacy, there will be basically no longer, there will no longer be a trade-off for all practical purposes for users to be default privates. Uh, again, that's still a couple of years away, probably three years away, but uh, it's not 10 years away. Wow. That will be pretty incredible. What do you think that would mean? Because a lot of what people talk about now is, oh, the blockchain is is auditable, it's transparent. You know, you can have regulators and, and auditors audit the blockchain in real time. So what, what would happen in that instance in terms of those advantages that people talk about now would those just go away is that would that not be possible anymore yeah so there's different levels of audit so if you want to audit the exact account balances of everyone in the world all the time in real time then of course everything is default private that would no longer be viable uh, 
you know, but the good thing about privacy and, and where you know, Zcash is going specifically is with their real focus on selective disclosure. And so with their new sampling upgrade coming out uh, later this year, uh, they will, this will allow um, even more advanced selective disclosure than is available today, such that if, if you are a regulated business or regulated entity, you would be able to provide, let's say, your auditor or the government, you know, whoever, um, some sort of viewing keys with different kinds of properties such that they could see certain kinds of transactions, transactions to certain parties, or, um, or transactions to different kinds of addresses. Uh, all of the kind of various parameters around that are still unclear, but they're building, the system is becoming increasingly flexible, so it's such that you can design view keys that you can share selectively, uh, so that if you are an entity that needs to be audited, you know, either for all of your transactions or some subset of your transactions, that that will be possible. Obviously, not everything needs to be regulated all the time, and most, you know, consumers for just throwing their wealth, I, I believe they have a basic right to privacy. Uh, and so, you know, that side is exciting. There are people who need, who need to have selective disclosure options, and uh, these technologies within the next few years, I think, will allow uh, real businesses that are audited to, uh, to, to do that. Huh. This is really mind-blowing the more I think about it, if it does become possible to do all this, because although it is true that now we do trust our financial institutions with our, you know, with the knowledge of how we're transacting, by and large, our financial transactions are private. And so the fact that it might be possible to someday, again, have that default privacy and then at the same time, not to have to trust your bank, which um, <laughs> obviously financial institutions have lost the public's trust in a massive way in recent years. Um, I do think that that will be kind of amazing, but obviously we have a long path to getting there. Oh, and one other thing I wanted to mention for listeners is if you have not listened to my Unchained interview with Zuko about how Zcash works, we get into you know the viewing keys and, and all this stuff, and he kind of breaks it down for me. And I think a lot of people enjoy that episode. So if you haven't checked that out, I urge you to. So one other thing I want to ask you about, because it's been in the news so much, is the EOS launch. Multicoin was a big proponent of EOS before its launch. But I think most of us can safely say that the launch has not gone very well. <laughs> can you kind of recap what you think are the main points of what's happened so far and what you think are the most important lessons to be learned from it? Yeah, so I think there's kind of two broad categories of, of challenges EOS has faced since launch. Um, the first is there have been a handful of bugs. Um, one of them caused the chain to halt, and I think three or four or five days after the chain launch. And then the second is uh, kind of just general, uh, the, the arbitration system, the system that was in the first constitution was quite, quite centralized and basically created kind of a single dictator known as the, um, ECAF is the, is the acronym. The Ethereum, excuse me, the EOS Central Arbitration Foundation, or authority, so, so I forget the name, what it stands for. Let me, let me break down each of those um, challenges. Uh, so on the first one about kind of bugs and stuff, uh, there's no question there were a handful of bugs. There were a lot of bugs discovered kind of late in the process before EOS 1.0 was released, and a handful more have been discovered since the chain launch. I think they're on version 1.04, 1.05 now, something like that. So they've been making lots of, of fixes down the wild. A lot of the, the hardcore academic types who are in, in the crypto space, you know, are generally not very happy with this behavior and they, they kind of call it lazy and uh, just poor, poor engineering. I don't disagree with that view, but I think it's just a little bit binary in the sense that no one's money has been lost or stolen as a result of these things. And like the EOS team has just been prioritizing ship, 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 get it out there and iterate. Uh, and so it's just kind of a different fundamental worldview. 
Um, you can argue and say, you know, well, it's, crypto has to be perfect, and I just, I just don't buy that that, that view. So um, I don't consider those problems to be too terrible. They create some bad headlines. A lot of people who, you know, are out to, to, to play fun will, will fun about it, but uh, I don't really think that, that's a serious deal. Um, the second kind of major issue with EOS has been the uh, the arbitrators in the system. There were the arbitrator in the system. Uh, and the way that the first constitution was written, basically anyone could bring kind of any issue to the arbitrator, and the arbitrator could, you know, based on his or her choosing, and um, inform, uh, you know, issue a mandate that the block producers needed to uh, issue what would otherwise be an invalid state transition. So that would be, could be locking in accounts, could be taking money out of an account, um, could be any number of things. Uh, but all of those you can broadly classify as, as invalid state transitions. And that was clearly creating a lot of problems. There was clearly disagreement between the block producers and the, the arbitrator. And so uh, pretty quickly here, uh, the block one team has realized like, hey, this is not working. And so they, they've proposed a new constitution. And this new constitution basically says the only types of issues that arbitration should be used for are issues where there is a debate about or where there, where there is a discrepancy between what code what code on a smart contract says and what the intent of the code was. Uh, and so the kind of canonical example of this would be what happened with Ethereum and the DAO in 2016, where there was clearly a discrepancy between what the code said and what people thought the code said. Um, and so those are the kinds of issues that they want the DAO to be there for. Excuse me, they want the uh, arbitration system to be there for. So it's, it's limiting the scope of the system uh, much more, uh, which I think, is, I think is absolutely the correct thing to do. Uh, and then the other major change that's been proposed is a way to support multiple arbitrators. So you can basically have a free market capitalistic system of arbitrators, uh, which makes sense. There's no reason to have a single arbitrator in the system. Uh, arbitrators should compete for um, the right to, to provide those services for users in the system. We're going to keep discussing EOS in a moment, but first a quick word from our fabulous sponsors. OnRamp is a full-service creative and design agency that has helped numerous companies, including many in the blockchain and crypto space, maximize their brand awareness, gain traction, and accelerate growth. Whether you're a startup company launching a new brand or an established brand exploring a new campaign, OnRamp has you covered. OnRamp has a passion for boosting business results and can help with everything from logo and website design to full creative execution. Focus on your core technology and leave the rest to OnRamp. To learn more and see how they've helped passionate entrepreneurs achieve their dreams, go to thinkonramp.com. Clarity PR is a global strategic communications agency that shapes market-leading narratives for brands in crypto and blockchain to drive awareness and grow business. Working with clients like Atlas Quantum, CoinMint, Securitize, SmartValor, and Verbex, Clarity PR can move quickly to differentiate the value of your business in the noisy blockchain and crypto space. Named as one of the fastest-growing agencies in PR Week's Top 150, Clarity is well-versed in providing guidance to a wide range of companies looking to build their reputation and deliver high-profile media relations campaigns across mainstream business outlets as well as major tech and vertical trade outlets. To learn more and see a list of services, visit clarity.pr. I'm speaking with Kyle Samani, Managing Partner at Multicoin Capital. Before all this stuff happened with EOS, I happened to be talking with Katie Hahn, who just this week was named the new GP of Andreessen Horowitz and will be co-managing their new crypto fund with Chris Dixon. Um, but she mentioned to me that she thought that the governance issues in crypto, crypto in general remind her of what she learned in law school about the early formation of the U.S. government. So this post that Dan Larimer, the one of the the CTO of Block One, which is the company that launched EOS, 
where he wrote, the intent of code is law. Do you think that that's enforceable? Like, I don't, I don't understand how that can be enforceable. It can, it, yeah, just how, how do you think that's going to work? Yeah, so I mean, it, it's not strictly enforceable and, and purely objective. So um, if, if you take a step back and kind of look at these systems, really one of the breakthroughs of Bitcoin is that the Bitcoin system is purely objective. Governance in Bitcoin boils down to one hash is one vote. Uh, and whoever has the most hashes gets the most votes. And you can argue about minor centralization and all these other issues, but the system is purely objective. Uh, and, and there was a real breakthrough there. A lot of the hardcore people in crypto really value object objectivity in their system. And proof of work, by definition, is, is fundamentally an objective system. There's, there's no way to game that. A lot of the Bitcoin maximalists uh, really dislike proof of stake systems because proof of stake systems fundamentally introduce some level of, of subjectivity where the you know the people who are in the committee or the validators and proof of stake systems like have have a quote you know god given right or I guess in this case a coin stake weighted right to determine the next block and so the system is no longer purely objective uh, there's now pe- kind of by definition people involved in that process uh, and so you know you can look at Bitcoin as being purely objective Ethereum and its Casper implementation uh, is what I would kind of refer to as weakly subjective and Vitalik has written about this before. And EOS is on that spectrum more subjective. And so, you know, a lot of people in crypto, I think, generally react quite poorly to EOS because they just believe it's too subjective and it kind of leaves too much to, as Nick Zabo would call it, wet code. Uh, or you could kind of, that, that's kind of like the, I think the challenge there. I, I have no strong views about like what, what is the right global governance system. Um, Bitcoin feels cleanest and there's certainly an elegance to the fact that it's, it's purely objective and you can't game it around that. Uh, I expect Bitcoin is going to have a lot more pains in the 2020s and 2030s as, as it grows and matures, and there's going to be times when you want humans involved. Uh, I find that the, the purely objective nature of Bitcoin doesn't really accommodate the realities of, of humans and the real world and the fact that you know things go wrong every now and again. So I kind of think the world needs some fundamental subjectivity to it. What is the right level of subjectivity? How do you make sure it's not gamed and taken advantage of? These are real problems. There aren't real answers. But yeah, there's a lot of iteration and happening. You know, this year in 2018, it seems like EOS and Tezos are going to be kind of the two big blockchains that launch that are, have a strong focus on governance. Uh, and Infinity, I think, will to a lesser extent later this year. And uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how these systems with on-chain governance play out. Um, I, I don't have strong feelings about what the right answer is. I generally prefer less formal governance to more, but uh, that's a pretty low conviction view. Oh, this is interesting. I thought you always did have strong views on governance because I always felt that you were so pessimistic about the outlook of Bitcoin just because of the governance issues. So does that mean that you're like more agnostic on Bitcoin now? Like has EOS's governance problems changed your mind at all on Bitcoin? No, I, I just like governance is such a, a fundamentally hard problem. And it, it's a problem that like you can't reason your way through the problem. It, it's something that has to play out in the real world to see how it happens and like as an iterative cycle. And so kind of forecasting it with any level of, of, of certainty, I just find it to be basically impossible. It's kind of a problem that I just don't think is really forecastable. And so um, I have low conviction views about how any of the governance systems will, will work at scale and will work over long periods of time. My bias, if anything, is for less governance in the early stages of these projects, simply to allow the core developers to iterate on the technology because the technologies are, are clearly so nascent. But in terms of kind of long run governance functions, uh, I just I have low conviction views about all of the systems. I, I don't know. 
Huh. And and even you say that you have low conviction, even when it comes to like on chain versus off chain, because I always interpreted your pessimism about Bitcoin due to the fact that there was no mechanism on chain for governance. But but that wasn't the case. I, I, that's not, I think, the root of my challenges with Bitcoin. I think I have other challenges with Bitcoin. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on quickly before our time runs out here. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Katie Hahn was named the new GP at Andreessen. And uh, there's also some other VC investment in crypto uh, news, which is that USV recently announced that they were investing in your company and Multicoin. Congrats. Thank you. What are your thoughts on the different ways that VC firms are going about investing in crypto? Yeah, so there's kind of a few different models. I think there's kind of three major models now uh, that we've seen from major uh, VC funds. So Andreessen Horowitz launched a new separate fund. Um, Unison Ventures is invested, I think, in five or six now token funds like Multicoin. And Lightspeed, for example, has kind of carved out a section of their fund to focus on crypto. Overall, I think it's kind of healthy, you know, given the kind of how the partnerships are structured at these firms, uh, they should do what kind of makes sense for them. Um, my, my bias is, you know, probably more towards the Andreessen model or the US, USV model. And that, you know, go all in, in which case, right, Chris and Katie have gone, you know, going all in. Um, and in the case of Unions for Ventures, what I think is really interesting about their model is they're saying, look, these are liquid markets. You know, Unions for Ventures is not structured as, as a fund to take advantage um, of liquid markets and operate in them. And they want exposure to the space because they have a long-term conviction in the space. But they recognize that liquid markets are a different beast. And so they're outsourcing some of that work to, to folks like us. And I think that makes um, a lot of sense to do. They know where their strengths are, and they're kind of doubling down on their strengths and outsourcing other functions to other folks. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty supportive of, of both models. I think they make sense. It just depends on what the, the folks at each, at each firm want to do. But if you were investing, if you were an, an investor in USV and LP, why would you want to pay them to invest in another fund? Wouldn't it make sense for that LP to just invest in Multicoin directly? Oh, um, so I mean, like, I, I understand that argument. I think the reasonable counter is, you know, they're maximizing their information flow. And the reality is for us operationally is we're just far more focused than they are in the space because we have we have 11 employees now. We'll have 14 by the end of July with 100% focus on crypto. And we ignore everything else. We don't spend any boards. And so as a matter of focus, right, like we, we kind of help them with thinking and certainly they're thought partners. So we talk to them quite a bit. But then also we bring them deals, right? Because they can oftentimes write much larger checks in individual deals than we can. And so there, there is real value for them in, in developing that relationship and supporting it. Um, and I think the other is, you know, they just recognize they want exposure to the space and they feel it is in their mandate to get the exposure, uh, them being USV. And so if they want the exposure, they're, they're realizing, well, what's the best way to get that exposure? And, you know, they feel it's through, um, through folks like us. So it's reasonable. I don't think 100% of their funds should, should you know, invest in other funds. And uh, Fred Wilson was quite clear in his blog post about the idea of you know them not being the fund funds. And they have some caps and restrictions on how much of their of their fund they're investing in other funds. I don't know what the numbers are, but um, they do have some restrictions. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll see how all this plays out with the different strategies. Probably in a year from now, there will be maybe a certain um, trend in the way the VC community goes. Well, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks for coming on Unconfirmed. Hey, Laura. Awesome to be on. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast episode. New episodes of Unconfirmed come out every Friday. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. 
If you like this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Elaine Zelby, Fractal Recording, Jenny Jensen, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>